This week, Pastor Paul reviews Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. He illustrates the reason behind our hope, and how by being justified through faith, we enter a world of hope and a personal relationship with God. Good morning again. All right. Well, I want to tell you a story. And before I tell you the story, you're going to want to ultimately turn to Romans chapter 5. I hope you brought your Bibles. Most of our Bibles are electronic, and so you're going to simply want to go to an electronic app and open Romans chapter 5. Um, it's also on the handout, and if you didn't bring a Bible, and we encourage you to, to I would love for you to highlight, for you to circle, you to ask questions, um, to engage in this text. But I want to tell you a story. This story is about a donkey um, and some dirt. And... Um, Oh, I don't see it here, I don't see it there, I don't see it anywhere. Um, I only see that, and I only see that, Aaron. Am I not projecting right? Um, Yeah, you got it now? Nope, no, I'm sideways. Hang on a second while we figure this out, because... Yeah, lay it on my floor down. No, look, everybody, there it is. Um, Hang on, it's talking. And so the um, story is about a donkey. And the, um, if you're at Wednesday night, you know that in the last couple of weeks we've had some donkeys, not visit us, but we've talked a little bit about donkeys. And as we've done this, this is a story about a, a farmer who had this old donkey. And the old donkey was in walking, and then it fell into an old well, an old dried well, and it fell down into the well. And as it fell into the well, it bayed and it, it caught or whatever sound a donkey makes. What's, what do you call a donkey? No, hee-haw. Hee-hawed. But there's a word for a donkey voice, bray. It brayed, and, um, and as it brayed, it brayed, and, and for hours it just brayed, and then nothing happened. And so it gave up, but the farmer heard it ultimately, and he came and he looked, and he tried to get the donkey out, and as he tried to get the donkey out, he realized it was helpless, and, and he couldn't do anything on the donkey. It had served him well, but that's enough. And, and so he took the donkey. Oh, look, now i got pictures up there. We'll do this. This should work. Um, do you have anything up there? Nope. Aaron's going back going, help me. And do you have that yet? Hey, look at this. Um, you have the donkey? All right, you got the donkey. And, and, so the don- and so the farmer says, you know, the donkey's good. It's served well. And I think it's just time to call it quits with the donkey. And so he takes a shovel and he starts shoveling some dirt right on top of the donkey. So you're going to bury that donkey. It's alive. And... Um, and the donkey threw, throw some dirt on the donkey, and the donkey goes, ah! You know, as all donkeys do, it brays a little bit, and pretty soon this donkey stops um, making noise. And as the donkey stops making noise, it keeps shoveling dirt in there. He thinks he's done it. He looks in, and he watches, and he sees that the donkey, every time a load of dirt comes on the donkey, it shakes it off, and then it stands on the load of dirt. He shakes it off the next load, and pretty soon they start filling up the hole, and pretty soon that donkey that was stuck in the hole can get on out and move out of the, out of the, the well. And so he's going, great, that's great. But there's a moral to that story. The moral is that a lot of times we are like that donkey. We get stuck in a pit, don't we? we, we and then, then when we get stuck and we become useless to whatever system you want to say, whether it is you're no longer useful in society, and so society kind of throws you out, or whether it's your job, you're no longer useful at the job, and people throw, start throwing dirt on you, or whether it's your family and you're no longer useful, people just start throwing dirt on you time and time again. And we get the decision, are we going to allow the dirt to bury us, or are we going to allow the dirt to slowly rise us up and out of the hole? What are we going to do? 
The Apostle Paul is someone who had a lot of dirt thrown on him in his life. The Apostle Paul is a man who, who suffered a lot, had a lot of sufferings, had a lot of challenges. He writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I have worked much harder. I have been in prison. I have been flogged severely. I have been exposed time and time again. I have been beaten um, five times. I have received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. I was beaten with rods. I was, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from the rivers, in dangers from the bandits, in dangers from my own countrymen, in dangers from the Gentiles, in dangers at sea. I have labored, I have toiled, I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have gone without food. I have been cold, and I have been exhausted. Shovel after shovel after shovel. All of us have times, the seasons of life, where things just are shoveling over the top of us. And Paul is writing to a church in Rome. The church in Rome is having stuff shoveled on top of it. It's Emperor Nero is going to blame the Christians for the burning of Rome. This small band of believers, it's going to blame them. And as a result, Christians are going to be tortured. Christians are going to be tarred. Christians are going to be beaten, shovel upon shovel. And the question is, that happens to us. How do we respond when things don't go our way? How do we respond in, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardships? Well, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church he's not visited, and he hopes to visit and he wants them to see that no matter what happens, that, that God is good. And he sees that God has justified us. God has made us unguilty of, of all the sins that we have committed. And God now sets us right. And so I'm going to introduce Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is a great chapter. We're only going to walk through 11 verses. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to unpack it, and hopefully we see some amazing things. Verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified by means that God took and the sin that was ours, God propitiated, God moved, and God said, I will take their sins. Their sins are my sins. I will pay you the price of their sins. And so they are clean. We are clean. We are no longer guilty of sins. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace into which we now stand. We stand a donkey, get it? Okay. Um, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And because God's hope has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And you see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. Into while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were enemies, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him, son, 
How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast. We boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's look at a couple of points. Amen to that. Justification, the fact that you are justified, justification has implications. It, it, it means something. In other words, I, my prayer has been through this message this morning. I don't know where you are spiritually. I have no idea. You could be walking with God for years. You could be faith-filled saint. You could have be somebody who, who really has dialed in who God is. And you're walking with him, friend. Or you could be lost. You could be absent of any relationship with God. You could be lingering and kind of on the edge and going, I don't even know if God knows me, and I don't even know if I know God. And truth be told, if anybody in this church knew what I did last week, they wouldn't have allowed me in the building. You can be one way or the other, and that doesn't matter. Listen to this text. The fact that God says you are justified, it has implication. Look what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. This is an act that has already happened. Three things is true. Since we are justified, we are freed from our past. We are freed from our past. Our past, our, our, the, the sins are not held against us. God isn't saying, well, that was really bad. I'm going to mark that and I'm going to put that on their, their little resume. And when they get time to see me, I'm not going to allow them in because of what they did back then. You got that, church? You are freed from your past. I have seen so many Christians, so many believers, they hold their own past against them. They hold the things that they have struggled with. They hold those things, that those issues that, that they have wrestled with. They hold that against themselves, and therefore they're never free. They're never free to participate in what God wants them to do because you hold your past against yourself. You cannot release that to God, and God has released it from you. You are holding, holding on to it. You're freed from your past. Look what it says. You have been justified. In God's perspective and in God's eyes, you are justified already. Not just that. That's the past. The present. You presently enjoy a personal relationship with God. It isn't something that, that, we, that we linger on and going, well, one day when I die, I know I'm going to be in the God's presence. No, it is you can have a personal relationship with God today. He's in this room. I was talking with a man this morning. A man who came to me, said he was lost, came to me. This is at like 7 o'clock in the morning. So that God drew him to me. 7 o'clock, knocked on the door. We talked for a bit this morning. And, and he didn't feel like... He felt lost. Although he had accepted Jesus a long time ago, he had lost his ability to have a personal relationship with God. And, and, and it, you don't need to, church. It doesn't matter your past. God says, I've forgiven. Your presence is God lives in you today. Today. This moment. This building. God lives in you today. You, you, can, you can pray to him anytime you want. You don't have to be in this building to pray to him. You can talk to him anytime you want. You don't have to wait until you come back here on Sunday. You can walk with God. You can talk relationship with God. You can have a relationship with God. I have a, a personal relationship with my wife, Amy. You know what that means? That means we go places together. And I can talk to her in the car. And she's with me very much alive. And God is very much with me wherever I go. God is very much with you wherever you go. Do you believe that? 
He is, in other words, check this out, he is watching what you watch on TV with you. He's sitting next to you on the couch. Going, oh, I don't know if I'd watch that, okay. He, he, is, he, is, he is watching your social media. Okay, he, he, you're, he's, he's reading what you post on your social media, and then he's reading what you click and what you like and stuff on your social media. Gotta like that. Woohoo, go God. And he's eating what you eat at the table. Uh, that might be good, might be bad, I don't know. But God, God is a personal relationship. We just sang about being a friend of God. You can enjoy a personal friendship relationship with God. The text is about the past. The text is about the present. The text is also about the future. We will experience the reality of hope. We will experience the reality of hope. There is a hope that this is not as good as it gets. Amen? The destruction, the turmoil, the fear that's out there, this is not as good as it gets. One day, one day, Jesus is going to come back. And one day, we will rule, we will reign with the king of kings. And there won't, there won't be any, any loss of limbs. There won't be blind people. There won't be deaf people. There won't be mute people. There won't be broken people. There will be whole and healthy people. One day, we are going to be with Jesus in that environment. That's our hope. How many of you hope that that happens soon? Okay. The wings, I don't know about the wings. The middle people got it. Okay, so Paul says, we will experience the reality of hope. I've got something else coming about that in a second. See, justification also offers a purpose for our suffering. Justification, because God has, God has made us right. He, he says there is a purpose for our suffering. Listen to this. He says, not only so, but also in our, in our suffering produces what? Perseverance. Perseverance produces what? Character. And character produces what? And none of us like this. See, not all of us think of our life kind of like this, kind of like a cone. And in that cone comes all kinds of hard things. In that cone comes all kinds of disappointments or difficulties or turmoil or loss or pain or even suffering. And so, so the cone of perseverance, this, we just hold it. And many of us just hold that cone of perseverance. We go, oh, I'm such a martyr because, because look, I've been disappointed so many times. God, you're with me. Oh, I've gone through so many difficulties. And, and, and that's it. We're just a, a vessel into which disappointments and turmoils and hardships kind of reside. It's not what the text says about difficulties and turmoils and, and hardships and heartaches and loss. As I've said before, many times we are real, really bad at using our disappointments for his glory and his good. There's a guy by the name of Ray Stevenson. He wrote a song, a Christian song, called In the Eyes of the Storm. And some of the lyrics go like this. It says, when the solid ground is falling out beneath our feet. We've all been there. Between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see when I realize I've been sold up by my friends and my family. When the test comes in and the doctor says, I've only got a few months left. I'm swallowing and I can barely take a breath. And when addiction steals my baby girl, tough things happen. And, and how do we then use that? Paul says, no, we don't, get to be, we don't get to be a cone. Instead, it's more like a funnel. The funnel of suffering goes like this. You've got suffering on the one side. And suffering comes down and it goes into the funnel, but it doesn't come out as suffering. It comes out as character. And then when, when it passes through the funnel, it comes out as character, and character then produces hope. 
That's what we need to do. We need to say, how in our suffering, how does that reflect our character? What is our character revealed when we go through difficult times, when we go through challenging times? How is our character revealed, and does our character thus display the hope that we have? Or does our character come over here, and does our character display hardness and bitterness and hurt? And so when people see us, they think, boy, that person's had a hard life. We have a neighbor in our neighborhood, and my father-in-law is back there. He can testify. And, and she's a nice lady, but, but her face looks mean. You know what that, that's like? Ever seen those people? You look at them and going, I don't even want to say hi to that person. I, don't, I, I want to walk on the other side of the street because she's going to chew me out. She's just, <laughs> drive, oh, no, I drove right next to her. Oh, no, I'm too close. And, and, and her face, her face does not reflect one of hope. Her character, I don't know that much about her character, but I just know what her face says. What does your face say as you go through difficult times, as you go through times of suffering, as you go through challenging times? And and perseverance, you do it. Listen to what Paul says. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit, who has given us has been given to us. See, hope is not a lottery ticket. And so I bought a lottery ticket today. And I learned something this morning. I know, this is the point. It's not money, right? So I, and I learned something. You can buy, they, you know, they sell these things in $30 tickets. I didn't know that. You could buy a $30 lottery ticket. Holy smokes. You know, here's $30. Why don't you just give the guy cash, right? Here, I'm going to give the guy cash. And you can do this, but this is not what hope means. A lot of times we hope, well, if I get a couple of dollars, extra dollars in my check, I'm good. If I find, if I find some money, I'm good. Whatever it is, that's what we tend to think about hope. That's not what this is. That's not what the word means in hope. The word is not about a lottery ticket. The word is built upon certainty. What is the certainty of my winning on this? not, correct? It it, it is like, okay, it's a good good deal. Um, And so, where's a guest this morning? Do we have a guest in here this morning? Who? Okay, I'm going to give you this. There you go. Okay. Okay, now Amy's going, what are you doing with my hope? Okay. Okay. Um... And so, so that's what it is. It's, it's just something you give. You give hope away. But this is hope of certainty. God is saying this is absolute certainty. Our hope is not built upon whether or not the scratcher comes off. Our hope is built on the certainty of what Jesus has done for us. Right? We could win the lottery. We could have a man thousand cars in our garage. And our hope would be vacuous and empty and, and vain. Or we can have a bicycle and a broken down shed. Right? And, and the window that's cracked, and, and our hope is secure. It's not based upon the material things you have. It is based upon the solidity of Jesus Christ's death, resurrection. Right? We have hope in the future glory of God. It is not based upon anything we have here today. It is based upon the future glory of God. Our hope is that our suffering then moves and says, you know what? This suffering has a purpose. I'm going to figure it out. I am going to walk with God in the midst of the suffering. Because there's an example for us to follow. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might dare to die. And so Paul pulls up this illustration. One, and, and, and this is the illustration. Imagine you're walking along the road, 
and a bus is coming, and there's a horrible person there. And you know that you have an option. You can push the person out of the way, and they'll take your and the bus will hit you, or you can let the bus hit that person. What are you gonna do? Well, you know, what if it's a, a noble person? What if it's a VIP? What if it's an important person? If it's an important person, a VIP, uh, 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 a person that you really admire, you might go, you know what, bust and push that person out because culture, society might be better off if that person lives in me. But what if that person is a vile person? What if that person is a pimp who runs a child brothel? What if that person, not only that, but they sell drugs? What if that person is a scum? What if that person is the scum of the earth? And you got an option to save that person, let them live, and you die. What are you going to do? Most of us will say, yeah, sucks to be you, huh? <laughs> Can we be honest and real right there? Most of us will go, uh-uh, I'm really sorry. The bus is going to take you down. You made your choices. You, you, you made your bed. Now you get a what we think. But this is what the Bible teaches us. We are that vile person. Sin to God is vile doesn't matter whether it's a sin of eating the forbidden fruit or whether it's a sin of being a pimp. Sin breaks relationship with God. And all of us are guilty. All of us. All of us are guilty. And Jesus Christ came to die for us while we were still guilty. It says, but God... While we were still separated from God, while we were still enemies of God, while we were separated, God demonstrated. The word demonstrated in our English language, oh, he demonstrated that he was a good hitter. Oh, he demonstrated. But in the Greek, there's a verb tense in there. And the verb tense is that it is present. A better way to translate this verb would be continually demonstrating. But God continually demonstrates. It isn't something that happened once in the past, but it is something that happened in the past and is continuing on to today. God continually demonstrates his own love. God continually demonstrates and how great and how deep and how big is the love of God. Is it not huge? God continually demonstrates to you and to you and to you, not that one-time act, but he continually, if you reflect on it and dwell on it, God continually demonstrates his own love for us. In this, we're still sinners. While we are still sinners, you might have been someone who's walked away from God, and God continually demonstrates his love for you today. He hasn't forgotten them off. I'm going to check them off the list. They're no longer part of my community. Every single person in here, every single person in here, God continually, continually demonstrates his love to you. And that while we were yet sinners, while we were doing wrong, he has perfectly set us right. While you have been doing wrong, isn't that freeing? Isn't that releasing of you? Isn't, and so while the world is shoveling dirt upon you, and, 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 and God says, you know what? I have forgiven them. I have washed them clean. I'm going to help them get out of that muck, get out of that mire, get out of that pit. I have set them free. Church, if he has set you free, you are free. You are unfettered, as Trevon says. You are released. You are clean. You are forgiven. You, church, are justified. Amen?
man, on this Father's Day, could there not be a better message than about what God has done for us already, what God completely has done for us. See, justification completed act of God on our behalf. He doesn't have to do anything else for us. He has set you free. He has cleansed you. He has made you right with him. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you have the permission of God to enter into his glory and to say, Father, love you, Father. Father, I just need you this morning to be in my life. I need this morning your strength to walk in your will today, God. God, I, God, I need you to watch over my wife, watch over my sons, my daughters, my mom, my father. Whatever it is, you've got a concern, you can share it to God. You've got an issue, you can give it. longer fettered, your past is no longer held against you. God has set you free. God has redeemed you. God has reconciled. God has made you right with him in his presence. Church of Jesus Christ, do we get it? Do we understand? I, I, I want to spend time on this. I want to dwell on this because when you get it, when you, when you totally understand it and you comprehend it, you will be free. You won't live in the guilt and the shame of your past. You're going to live in the glory of the fact that the Holy Spirit's love dwells and lives in you. No, it won't matter what people say about you. It won't matter the dirt they throw on you because God loves you. God cares for you. God redeemed you. God reconciled you. Church. Church. There's a story. His name is Brendan Manning. And Brendan Manning, Manning went to go visit his adopted mom in 1989. The years are important. In 1989, he had been giving a, 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 a kind of lectures. He's a Christian man, and, and he'd been speaking at a conference all week long. And when he got done with the conference, even though he'd been giving great messages to the conferencees, he felt empty. He felt lost. He felt, you know, what I'm saying, I don't know if I understand it myself. And so he went to go talk to his adopted mom. In 1989. And he goes to his adopted mom and he talks about his good friend Ray that he knew. And then they rehash the story. Well, what we need to know is who Brendan Manning was. His name is actually Richard Manning. He was in his, he was serving into a Korean War with his buddy Ray Brennan. And they were in a foxhole. It was midnight as Manning tells the story. It was midnight. They were in a foxhole in Korea. They were eating, they were eating MREs. And as they were eating an MREs in the foxhole in Korea, all of a sudden a grenade lands in the foxhole. He remembers this that Ray Brennan, he remembers Ray Brennan taking and throwing the wrapper away, landing on top of the grenade, looking back at Richard Manning and winking at him, saying, It'll be okay. And grenade goes off. Obviously kills. Ray Brennan. Six years later, eight years later, Richard Manning is becoming a Franciscan monk or a Franciscan priest, and one of the things they do is they change their names. And so to honor his friend who gave his life for him, he takes on the name Brendan. And now his name is Brendan Manning. And, and, and Brendan is talking to Ray's mom his adopted mom. And he's talking to him, and, and he's going through some doubt, and, and, and he's talking about the goofy things that they did when they were boys, and he, he says to his mom, he goes, Mom, did Ray really love me? And, and the mom says, ah, just quit joshing, quit joking around, and he goes, no, no, Mom, did, did, I'm, I'm serious, did, did Ray really love me? 
And she gets mad, as only mom could do. And she goes, stop talking about that. I don't want to hear you say that again. And she realizes that, that Brendan is, is discouraged. And then she goes, what else could he have done for you? He gave his life for you to live. And she goes on, she goes, yeah, I understand. Every now and then we need to be reminded of the things that people have done for us in order to be referred that they had for us. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners, instead of a hand grenade, it was a thunk, thunk, thunk of a nail and a hammer on one arm and on the next and in the feet and the crown of thorns and the thunk of the cross going into the hole. He died for you. He gave everything for you. And sometimes we get discouraged, and sometimes we forget, and we ask, does God really love us? My question is, what more does he have to do for you? What more does he have to do for you? Now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were enemies, if while we were God's enemies, if while we were still sinners... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through life? Not only so, but we also boast in God through Jesus Christ, whom we have now received the message of reconciliation. God saved his enemies so that his enemies could become his friends. You are a friend of God. He is with you today in his presence of his Holy Spirit from the shackles of your past. He is looking forward to an eternity with you. Happy Father's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Friend's Day. God truly, truly loves you. There's not much more to add except for this. This week, I want to challenge you to boast about what Jesus has done for you. That's what I want you to do. I just want you to boast. Boast to God and say, God, thank you for what Jesus has done. Boast amongst your friends and say, say, you know what? Those things I did in my past, they're forgiven. They're washed. They're clean. I am guilt-free. I don't have to continue in that behavior, but I am guilt-free. I no longer, God no longer holds those against me. Those moments in the future, oh, I look forward to what God is going to do. And as the world shovels dirt on you, shovels more dirt, shovels more dirt, you can say, all I'm going to do is I'm going to use this dirt to get to the top, and then I'm going to be with God in his presence. Church of Jesus Christ, do you guys get it? God has set you free. You are free indeed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for calling us your friend, for filling us with your love through your spirit through the guidance and the protection that you have given us, you've watched over us. Oh, Lord, thank you for justifying us, making us, thank you for reconciling us, bringing the brokenness together with the wholeness, and now, Lord, we get to love you and boast about you. Heavenly Father, if there is anybody in this room who has never given their heart to you, they stand condemned, they stand with their guilt of their past still in front of them, and they are not free in their future. Lord, I pray that they would accept you today. They, 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 would, they would say, Lord Jesus, enter my heart. Lord Jesus, I accept you. 
And then, Lord, that they, they would truly trust you. And they would say, I am going to be a faith-filled follower of you. I'm going to be a regular attender in the church. I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to give. I'm going to use my body for the purpose that you have ordained it to be. Lord, live in my heart today. Lord, for those of us who have walked with you for a long time, I pray that we would boast about you. We would be people who are proud to call you our Father, who are excited about the journey that we have ahead of you. And Lord, we, I give the suffering of those in this room to you. I ask you, Lord, that you would help produce character that reflects and honors you. So thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to pray and to encourage this church.